Amen. Well, good morning. I'm excited to see so many of you here this morning. Um, we have had quite a week. We had our teenagers at, at, uh, at BBC or CSU, sorry, it's going to be, it's an old habit, CSU. Uh, this week for Teen Leadership Conference, it was a great week. Um, William, can you just turn me down just a little bit because this is normal for me? Yeah, there you go. Good, because I don't want to blow you guys away when I, when I really start to, to go here. Okay, so uh, we had a great week at Teen Leadership Conference with our kids um, and uh, some commitments were made. My encouragement to you is to, is to talk to our teens, um, ask them about that experience. We are so thankful for you guys um, who uh, donated and, and made that trip possible. Um, personally, um, I am so thankful for, for Betsy um, who spent the week with our, with our teens there. Um, it's just been a, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a great week, so, so that's good. I have some even more exciting news, though. Uh, Julie doesn't know I'm going to do this because it's a little, it's it's a little quick. But uh, Julie and I are expecting. Yeah, yep, yep. So I I know what many of you are thinking. Okay, that you know technically we we already have two, right? Um, but I want you guys to know that, that last night, um, you know, we totally cleaned the one out and uh, we got it ready. And um, between one and five o'clock today, we are expecting Lowe's to drop off our new refrigerator. So we are, we are so excited. Uh, got you guys. I got you. I got you. It felt good. It felt good. All right. I even let you clap, which was awesome. No, we are not expecting. Uh, <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> uh, we are not not expecting. Even though children are a blessing of the Lord, we are uh, very much looking forward to be uh, empty nesters, hopefully by the age of 60. Maybe even sooner than that. But uh, we, are, uh, we, are, we are so thankful for the children that God has, has given us. But there is that time of preparation that you need. Um, you know, not only when expecting a child, um, but also, you know, just when expecting a major appliance. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a process. Whew, I just compared children to major appliances. Um, but uh, this, is, this is really going downhill quick. John, why did you let me tell this story? No, uh, okay. So I'll, I'll go with number two here. Um, so at my other job, which I am the uh, secretary at South Abington Univer- or University, South Abington Elementary, Whew. still thinking about expecting a child. Um, Sweating already. I shouldn't have shaved my head. Uh, so um, at South Abington Elementary, uh, every year, what they do at the end of the year is they have all of the faculty and staff play kickball against each other, which just sounds like a great idea, right? Um, but you get a bunch of old people together, and we're going we're gonna to play kickball, and, and we're going to have a good time. Um, now, South Ab, we don't have the most... We're not the largest school, okay, in the district. I mean, we're going up against the middle school and the high school, and they have a ton of teachers and staff. And most of us who have gone to small schools know that it's just, it's hard to compete against bigger schools because there's a bigger pool of of people to draw from, and the chance of talent actually being there is is greater. Um, So I'm I'm on the team with South Ab. And I am the only full-time guy that we have on the team. Uh, So I'm a baseball guy. And those of you guys who know baseball, baseball is all about situational awareness. 
okay? Being ready for that situation. You will watch a baseball game and, you know, the guy in the outfield catches the ball and what does he do to the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the crowd? He, you know, if there's two outs, he'll go like this to everybody else, you know, two outs. Everybody knows there's two outs, but it's situational awareness. You want everybody to know how many outs there are, what the count is. It's about being prepared and being ready for that moment. So we're getting prepared. We're actually practicing for kickball. If you can imagine teachers and staff at an elementary getting, you know, ready to practice for kickball and the gym teachers out there and he's firing, you know, just rapid fire balls and there's balls flying everywhere and I'm exhausted after five minutes. But I make sure that I stretch. I'm making sure I'm doing everything. So we, we huddle up at the end and I say, hey, Mr. Nat, who's the gym teacher. I say, hey, Mr. Nat. I said, I have a question. I said, let's just say hypothetically, it's the bottom of the ninth. We're tied. Bases are loaded. I'm sorry, we're, we're up by one. Bases are loaded and um, I'm pitching. I said, we only need one out. There's two outs. We only need one out. I said, what if I roll the ball, and then as the ball is rolling, I follow it? And he's like, what do you mean follow it? And I said, well, I kind of let it go halfway, and then I just start running at the batter. Thinking to myself, I'm going to cut down the angle because we have two outs. Bases are loaded. All I have to do is get the ball and step on home plate. And he looks at me and he's like, yeah, do whatever you want. And I'm like, great. Do whatever I want. The greatest phrase you could ever say to me, do whatever you want. I'm like, all right, I'm in. I'm in, right. So we, we play the games. And sure enough, in the third game that we played, it wasn't exactly the same. It's the top of the ninth. Bases are loaded. It's two outs and we're tied. Now, I had already purposed in my heart, okay, that if it was that little, um, you know, science teacher that has been at the school for like 30, 40 years, um, you know, uh, I couldn't do this to like a grandma, okay? I wasn't going to like dive at like this, this old lady's feet, okay? But if it, was a, if it was a guy like me, like if it was a, if it was a you know, a, an, a semi-athletic individual who could, who could take it, I was, I was going to do this. So I turned to my team and I'm like, guys, my play, my play. And what do all these women do? They look at me like I'm crazy. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. They don't remember. I remember because I'm prepared. I thought through this. I'm like, this is the situation. This is the moment. This is where we're going to, we're going to, we're going to you know, win this game or whatever. So I roll the ball, and I stand there, and it gets about halfway, and I start running as fast as I can. And he kicks this ball, and I, I lay out. And as I spread out like a soccer goalie, trying to get as big as I can to cut down this angle, I can hear pop, creak, crack, you know, every muscle in my body just pulls at once. And I collapse on this ball and I know I'm hurt. I don't care. I stand up and I go, boom, and I step on home plate. And I'm like, come on in. It's like, let's go. The whole crowd no, you can't do that. Blah, 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 blah. I get overruled by the entire faculty and staff of Abington Heights School District. I look like a jerk 
in front of everyone because apparently I just pulled this like jerk move uh, in front of the entire uh, faculty and staff. Um, so now just so you know, your pastor is hated uh, among the faculty and staff. No, I'm only kidding. They don't hate me. I thought it was a great idea. I said to myself, listen, I'm going to be prepared. If this situation comes up, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be ready to go. This morning, we're going to look at um, three individuals uh, in the book of Daniel. And these three individuals, um, I want to tell you guys, we, we hear this story sometimes in a vacuum, where it's like, ah, well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah, we, we know the story, we know all of these things, we know that they, they didn't bow down, they didn't obey the king, they wouldn't worship this false idol. But what we sometimes forget is that they didn't just turn this on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had what I would call, and what baseball would call, situational awareness. They were prepared beforehand for this challenge, for this showdown that they are going to have with King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we have been studying the book of Daniel, and uh, week one uh, that we were together, um, we've talked about this idea of fight, flight, or faith. And we talked about the fact that as, as believers in God, when, the, when God allows suffering, when the world seems like it's raging against us, we need to draw a circle around ourselves. And we need to say, you know what? I'm going to sanctify myself. We don't need to uh, you know, post on Facebook how upset we are. We don't need to uh, rally the troops around each other and get together and complain in a holy manner. Um, we, don't, we don't need to do that. We just need to draw a circle around ourselves and say, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to draw this circle and sanctify ourselves. The second week, uh, we talked about this idea that, uh, of fear. And we see in our story that... Um, that our, 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 our hero, Daniel, in the story here, uh, is faced with a dilemma. The king has a dream, and in the dream, uh, the king says, listen, I don't only want you to tell me the interpretation of the dream, I want you to tell me the dream. It's a tough, tough order that, uh, that the wise men, the Chaldeans, and all of the court of um, Nebuchadnezzar is asked to do. And Nebuchadnezzar says, if you can't do this, I'm going to kill you all. And Daniel goes back, he finds Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They pray. God gives him the interpretation of the dream. And then Daniel goes back into the king, tells him the dream and the interpretation. And the king makes this statement. And the king, it seems like, acknowledges God. He falls down flat on his face and he says, there's no other God that can do what your God did. Truly, your God is a re revealer of mysteries. He is the God of gods. And he says this. See, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he sees a statue. And he, he sees the statue of many different forms. Uh, and eventually, this statue is destroyed by a rock that's not cut from human hands. And the statue is completely and utterly destroyed. So much so that the statue isn't there anymore. It blows away in the wind and there's a mountain that replaces it. And Daniel says, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the, you are the head that you saw, the head of gold. That's who you are. 
And then after you, a, a kingdom that's inferior to you will replace you and another kingdom will come and another kingdom will come and then finally the kingdom of God will come and crush all of these earthly kingdoms. It's going to be something completely different. Nebuchadnezzar then falls on his face. But we talked about this idea that when, when fear consumes those around us, are we devoured by it or do we remain devoted to God? And then finally, week three, we talked about the, the actual statue there. And we said the God of heaven is in control. We must trust in him. And we said that courage, the trusting will produce courage and that courage will bring clarity. It will bring... Um, It'll bring courage and it'll bring conformity. Um, so this, this idea of being prepared. And I feel like what we have today in Daniel chapter 3 is a culmination of all of those ideas. We're going to see three individuals sanctify themselves and say, no, we're, we're not going to do this. We're going to see the fear that Nebuchadnezzar tries to drive into these individuals in order to make them obey. And finally, we're going to see who's actually in control of the situation. So join with me here in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 in verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 60 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, uh, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the other uh, of all the other uh, I'm sorry, and all the other officials of the provinces to come and dedicate the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So we get the scene here. Um, we're in an area that, that is, a, is a plain, it's a, it's a flat area, so you could see the statue from, from many miles away. It says that this statue is 60 cubits high, which if we're in good old imperial American terms, 60, uh, 60 cubits is about 90 feet. Um, 90 feet, just to give you guys an idea, um, the sanctuary here is about 90 feet from that door to the wall here. So that gives you an idea of how big this image is. It's made of gold. The entire thing is made of gold. And Nebuchadnezzar has set it up and he's called all of the officials, all of the important people together. And he says, listen, we're gonna dedicate this amazing statue that I have built. Now there's been much conjecture over what the statue, what the image actually was. Some people say that it's actually an image of Nebuchadnezzar. Some people say that it's an image of um, one of Nebuchadnezzar's gods that he once worshipped. We're not told in the text what the image is. Some people say, hey, listen, it's the image that he saw, and he just said, listen, not just gold, the whole thing. And he's saying to God, listen, you can give me this dream, but I'm here. I'm here now. I'm not going anywhere. I don't plan on going anywhere. We're not told exactly where Nebuchadnezzar's heart is or what the statue is. Here's the truth. It doesn't matter what the, statue's, what the statue is. It doesn't matter. He's going to ask all of these individuals to bow down to this statue. Well, in the last chapter, we just learned that statues can be destroyed, right? Statues can be utterly destroyed. 
Experts have debated for years about how much time has elapsed between chapter 2 and chapter 3 here. Um, Most of them agree that it's somewhere between 7 and 21 years. So it's not like Nebuchadnezzar woke up the next morning, had the dream, and said, ah, building a statue. But I think it does tell us a little bit about this man, Nebuchadnezzar. In the first three chapters of uh, the book of Daniel, um, Nebuchadnezzar's name, a pronoun, or the word the king that is referring to specifically Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned over 160 times. 160 times in three chapters. I didn't include chapter four because chapter four is mostly about Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together It's almost the same amount that they're referred to in the first three chapters. There's something about this individual of Nebuchadnezzar that is different, that is unique, that God wants us to understand about this man. And I think what we start to see here is Nebuchadnezzar has these moments where he acknowledges the true and living God. But he hasn't come to that point yet where he has put his faith and trust in this true and living God. And we're going to see why as we continue here. Verse 3. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, uh, and all the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as you hear all the people, uh, as soon as um, all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples and the nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So King Nebuchadnezzar has them all gathered together. He sits there. And he says, okay, you got a choice. I'm going to tell my herald to do something here. When you hear the orchestra play here, everybody bow down to this image that I have set up and worship it. That's his decree that he tells this herald. He's got, you got two options, people. You either bow down or you get burned up. If you do not bow down, I'm going to burn you alive. Now listen, I don't know about you, but for those individuals there that don't know the one true and living God, this is a pretty easy choice, right? Oh, I just have to, I just have to bow down. Just got to bow down to this thing. You know, I know he said worship, but the king can't see my heart. Like, I'll just bow down. How many of you guys have seen a movie where like the hero is battling against a king, right? And that hero gets captured and they want him to bow before the king. Uh, let's put it in, in terms maybe we understand. Let's say that the, the, uh, the Revolutionary War went a different way and George Washington was captured. And he's brought before King George and King George says, kneel before me. 
You think George Washington's kneeling? You think he would die before he knelt before the king? Why? Why do we think that? I mean, we hear stories about George Washington. We hear the tales of George Washington. We don't know George Washington's heart. We can't look inside of it. We know what he said. We know how much he did. But the bottom line is, we don't know for sure. And why is that? We don't know where George Washington's faith was actually. Where his hope was actually. You see, the three men that we're going to talk about in a second, they're faced with a conundrum here. It's going to get rough real quick for them. Because as soon as they hear the herald speak, they know that they've got a problem. But they're not the only ones who know that they have a problem. Keep reading with me. Verse 8 here. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Chaldeans. Jerks. You know what they are? It's right in your notes. Snitches. We used to have a saying in Philly. Snitches get stitches. There you go. You know, in, uh, in Philly, uh, we had a lot of, and I know things have changed, guys. I work in an elementary school. Um, but we had a lot of fights in our school. And there was always one thing. I went to a Catholic school. There was always one thing the nuns wanted to know. They wanted to know in any fight, there was always one thing first and foremost, and that person would get in more trouble. And it makes no sense whatsoever. They always wanted to know who threw the first punch. I don't know why that mattered, okay? Because nine times out of ten, we heard the things that were coming out of the other guy's mouth who didn't throw the first punch. We saw the posturing he made. We saw the fake punches that he would throw. We saw the pushing and the shoving. But for whatever reason, it was the first punch. And we had a pact among us as students. And we said we would never say who threw the first punch. And you knew if you told on that person who threw the first punch, you'd be in the fight the next day. Snitches get stitches. These malicious Chaldeans, they're looking around. They know as soon as they hear what the king has decreed that there's at least three guys that are going to be in trouble here. So they bow down and they worship. But as they're worshiping and bowing down, they kind of look up and peek. And they know that there's going to be at least three guys standing up. Verse 9 says, They declared to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning furnace. Listen. They're like, listen. Hey, teacher, king, we heard every word you said. And we can repeat it back to you verbatim. This is what you said, O king. It was a great decree. It was beautiful. It was eloquent. It was great. This is what you said. Verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have, oh goodness, who you have appointed 
over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, if you look down at the bottom of your, your notes there, you'll see that we've got something in gray here. I do believe that faith is a muscle. Okay, it is a muscle. It is a gift from God, but it is a muscle that needs to be used. Now, with our muscles, there's certain things that we have to do. Uh, before we exercise, if we're smart, we do have to stretch them out. Okay? I, I often do not do this. When I went out and blocked that ball, I did not stretch properly for that maneuver. All right? I paid for it dearly. But we have to stretch out. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew when they heard the decree that there were several things in the word of God that if they had bowed down and worshipped this golden image that this man had made, that it would cause them to defile themselves. It wasn't just a vague thought. It wasn't like, oh, this probably isn't the right thing to do. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 in verse 3. Exodus chapter 20, very famous passage of scripture. That's all we're going to today are famous passages of scripture. But Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. And in verse 3 it says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in heaven or, or that is in earth beneath or that is below the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them for i the lord your god am a jealous god visiting iniquity on the fathers of the children to their third and fourth generation of who of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's not just a, 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 a preference for them not to bow down. I prefer not to bow down. Okay, I, I, just, I just don't want that. You know, when my, my, wife, my wife makes broccoli, like, and she puts it on my plate, I prefer not to eat that. Okay, that's not a principle that I have. That's not a statute of God. There's nowhere in scripture that God said, you know, the 11th commandment, thou shalt not eat broccoli. Okay. Um, I uh, might have petitioned for that one, but um, it's, it's not in there. It's just a, a preference. This isn't a preference. This is black and white on the page here. King, what are you are asking us to do is to do something that would cause us to sin against the God of heaven. And look at the punishment here and compare the punishment. See, God says here, if you worship false images, he will repay your iniquity upon generations to come. King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, I'm going to throw you in a fire. You're going to pay for it. That's it. You're done. I had a friend in, in high school, his dad used to tell us all the time, he's like, hey, what's the worst that man can do to you? He can kill you. That's the worst that he can do to you physically. 
God says here, listen, there's more to the story. He doesn't end there, though, with the punishment in Exodus chapter um, 3 verses, uh, um, Exodus chapter 20 verses 3 through 6 here. He says, but showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. Guys, I want to tell you today that we haven't even heard anything that these three guys have spoken. We've just seen one thing that they did and they chose not to bow down. We have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why didn't they just bow down? Just do it once. If they had bowed down, those other officials that maliciously accused them would know that their faith wasn't real. Inside of their own hearts, inside of of, uh, their, their spirit there, they would have known that they cheated on the God of heaven. Many of us are sitting here today and, and some of us are married. And some of us would sit here and say, I would never ever think of cheating on my spouse. And it's because you have a commitment, a relationship with them, that you have declared publicly that you are connected to this individual. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have declared publicly before this The Chaldeans knew this and they knew that there was something in these guys that was going to make them not bow down because they had a relationship with the living God and they were not willing to compromise that relationship. They did the stretching before the problem came. They prepared for this moment. They were situationally aware of what was happening. See, when we stretch, when we get ready to go, um, spiritually here, let me get back to my notes here. When we get back, uh, we need to know God's word, first and foremost. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have proven that they know God's word. They know he said not to do something, and they chose not to do it. They already know that God is powerful. He, they, they were there praying together with Daniel when, when God revealed the dream. They were there when, when Daniel proclaimed the dream and the interpretation of the dream to the king. They know God is in control. He is powerful. And finally, they were in the jail with Daniel. And they chose alongside of Daniel to sanctify themselves, to draw a circle around themselves. The only real question we have in this story that's kind of a mystery is where's Daniel? That's really the only question that we have. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we're going to talk about in a second who choose not to bow down, but where's Daniel? Here's the answer. We don't know. We don't know where Daniel is. We're not meant to know where Daniel is. The Bible doesn't tell us where Daniel is. I'm not going to make up a story that, you know, maybe he was somewhere doing something for the king somewhere else. No, the king called all the officials together. Maybe Daniel got some special dispensation to be somewhere else. I, I don't know. He's not in the story. He's not important to the story. Why didn't they bow down? Because they did the stretching beforehand. Let's open up to verse uh, 13 of Daniel chapter 3. 
we're going to see the showdown here. We're going to see where the rubber meets the road here. And we see Nebuchadnezzar, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought so that these men uh, brought these men uh, before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Remember, guys, same guy. Same guy who had a dream. Same guy that God revealed the dream to. He knows that Daniel's connected to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel made a, a plea to the king after he revealed the dream and the interpretation. He said, hey, listen, can we elevate these three guys? And he did. He knows there is a connection there. But we have to ask ourselves the question, why, why doesn't Nebuchadnezzar remember this? And I think it goes back to that point that he has times where he acknowledges God, but he hasn't put his faith in God. It's God and, oh, this God helped me in this situation. Oh, this God helped me in this situation. Oh, but this God really helped me in this situation. See, Nebuchadnezzar has a cheating heart. If we're honest, there's times we have a cheating heart. We allow the fears and the things of this world to creep in. And we acknowledge God every once in a while. We acknowledge him, but have we truly put our faith in him? I think another question we have to ask is, where is Nebuchadnezzar's faith? And I think it's obvious so far. I think it's going to be even more obvious in the next chapter at the beginning. Well, in the middle. When he tells of actually what God did in his life. I think Nebuchadnezzar's faith is truly not in Madoc or Bel, or any of his gods, I think Nebuchadnezzar's faith is in himself. I think it's right inside of Nebuchadnezzar. I think he is a proud, proud individual. When he hears that individuals aren't doing what he says, what does he do? He flies off the deep end. He, ah, furious rage, bring them in here. He calms down a little bit when they get in there. He says, hey, I hear that you don't want to do this. And then verse 15, I think he gets a little sarcastic here, but that's just me reading it this way. Now, if you are ready, he says, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands. Oh. What he's saying to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is, listen, maybe the first time you just weren't ready. Maybe you're just, you know, hanging back. Maybe you didn't hear all of those noises. Maybe you didn't understand the three-sentence command that I gave to everyone because there were a lot of musical instruments in there. Maybe you got distracted thinking you might want to learn the bagpipe. Um, I... I don't know. Maybe you didn't hear, but if you're ready now, we'll play them again. And just for you guys, special little concert for you guys. You bow down. But if you don't, in the fire you go. He gives them a second chance. He's furious, 
but he gives them a second chance. And then he ends with this phrase. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Turn back to Isaiah chapter 43 with me. Isaiah 43. Verse 13 of Isaiah 43 says, And henceforth I am he. There is no one who can deliver you out of my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Now we intentionally stopped at verse 13. But just quietly in your seats if you've turned there. Read verse 14. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send Babylon and bring them down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in ships which they rejoice in. The book of Isaiah was written about 150 years before the book of Daniel even happened. Look at the words in Isaiah 43 that describe the relationship that God has with his people. As, as Molly stood here and read, did you, did you hear the heart of God? Did you hear his heart towards his people? He says phrases like, I have redeemed you. You are mine. You are precious in my eyes. Honored and I love you. Fear not for I am with you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. You are my witnesses and my servant that I have chosen that you may know and believe in me and understand that I am he. Or maybe some of you kids today would say, I'm him, right? Uh, I am he. And I understand, and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, nor will there be any after me. In verse 11, I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Nebuchadnezzar says, what God will deliver you from my hands? This God this God will deliver me for your, from your hands. You, Nebuchadnezzar, you want me to love you. You want me to adore you. You want me to love this statue that has been set up. You want me to praise you. What is your attitude towards me? See, the God, the relationship that Nebuchadnezzar has with himself as a God standing before them, is completely different than the relationship that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have with the true God. The true God loves them. The true God sees them as precious. The true God pays the ultimate price for his people. The true God looks at other nations who are more powerful, richer, and he says, I trade all of them for you. Oh, Israel. See, that God desires a relationship with his people. Nebuchadnezzar demands 
blind obedience or death. Let's see what these three guys have to say to the king. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king. (laughs) Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. (laughs) What? (laughs) What'd you say? (laughs) I got some wax in my ears. What did you say? We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. Ooh. The guts, right? The guts to stand there. And say, you know what? We don't have to answer you. The king, the one who has the power to destroy them right then and there. He's got the furnace already burning. I mean, they are faced with death. And instead of just saying, ah, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar? We kind of, we understand your point. Okay. But here's what, here's what the Bible says. And this is what you're asking us to do. And we're, we're not going to do it. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. No one under the age of 40 knows that reference. But um, it says we're not going to do it. We don't need to answer you. We don't answer to you. Because guess what? What you're threatening us with isn't scary. We're not afraid. Our God is able to deliver us from the fire and he will deliver us out of your hand. But even if he doesn't, O king, you need to know that three of your top guys standing here are not gonna bow down and defile themselves in front of you because our God is still more powerful than you are. Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, good answer. Go have a seat and stand over there. Or go over there and stand. Don't bow down. No, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do that. See, our faith though, it it needs to be tested. Just like muscles. Um, Those of you guys who've had major surgery, um, those of you guys who've had uh, things done to you, I know Julie's had her shoulder worked on. Uh, Hannah just had her shoulder worked on. Um, there's a period after you've had like muscles and ligaments and tendons and tendons like you got to kind of test them out after a while. And that's why you go see great people uh, like physical therapists over here. Um, they, they know how to test out your muscles in a way that is going to, to cause recovery. If you try to go too fast, uh, too soon here, you're just going to destroy all of the work that the doctor did. Muscles need to be tested. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here, they're in the middle of the storm. The fire is right before them. And their faith is being tested right in front of everyone. And this showdown, you might think, who is the showdown with? Well, it's between Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, it's not. It's between Nebuchadnezzar and God. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego let him know, we're not afraid of you because our God is bigger. Our God can deliver, you out, deliver us out of your hand. No one can be delivered out of the hand of God. But our God can definitely deliver us out of your hand. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe, know the words of Isaiah. I believe God gave them those words 150 years before Babylon ever invaded the southern kingdom so that they would know someday that even though it is rough right now, even though the testing is difficult, God is still more powerful than these nations that'll come down. And verse 14 tells us that. He names Babylon by name. He calls out the Chaldeans. He says, listen, nothing is out of my control. Faith needs to be stretched. They persevere through the storm. They turn to God. Remember in chapter two, they all turned to God together and they prayed. And now, finally, they stand together. Verse 19, and Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It changed. Listen, he was angry when he heard that they didn't, they didn't do that. He was furious. But when they came in, I think he was really trying to give them a second chance. I think he was. But now his face changes and his anger burns against them. His face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace be heated seven times more than it's usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You want to talk about muscles? These were the muscle men, okay? Uh, Dr. Sayer mentioned Arnold Schwarzenegger in his, in, his, uh, in his call to worship here this morning, right? He's Arnold, he shows up. He's like, yes, we will take the men. We will bind them in their tunics, and their hats, and we will throw them in the fire, and they will not be back, you know? He says, we're going to do this. And they just, they grab them quick. And they don't, they don't even undress them. Uh, I guarantee you, their tunics, their hats, their cloaks, the reasons I think it's, it's mentioned, these were all very valuable things. These were the, the, the finest that the kingdom had to offer. These guys were in charge of things, okay? They needed to look official. And the king says, no, 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 don't even save anything. I don't even want anything that touches them. Bind them up, get the strong guys in here, get my, get my beefy men in here, and throw them in the fire. Now, and the order was so urgent and the fire was so hot that after the men throw them in, the flames come out and they consume the strongest, beefiest, manliest men in the kingdom. And you got these three Jewish guys who are now in the furnace with all of their clothes on. Flex. See, faith needs to be flexed. At no point in our story do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego waver in their decision. Because they've stretched their faith, because their faith has been tested, 
And now they are able to flex their faith. See, the book of James is very clear to us who know Christ. That faith without works, it's dead. If you stop at only words, you're wasting your breath. James also tells us that we need to not only be hearers of the word, but we need to be what? Doers of the word. The testing of our faith produces perseverance. And when perseverance produces steadfastness and and when its work is complete, then we are complete. The testing of our faith, the stretching that we do, the flexing, the only reason we're able to flex is because the Holy Spirit is working in our life and molding us and shaping us and conforming us into the image of Christ. Faith has to have works. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not only hearers of the word, they were doers of the word. They let it change their life. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. His anger is turned to astonishment. He rises up in haste just as fast as he, he, he said, hey, heat the fire, bind them up, throw them in. Just as fast as all that happened, it turns on a dime. Anger turns to astonishment and he rose in haste. He declared to his counselors, did not we cast three men bound into the fire? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, was there a fourth guy? Did one of the mighty men fall in there? No. Three guys that went in there. They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. What did Isaiah tell us? What did Isaiah tell these men that God was to them? That he was a savior. That he loved them. That he cared about them. That they were precious to him. And as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego enter the flames, guys, this isn't just words on a page. I believe this actually happened. As they entered the flames, fully expecting to be burnt up. Their bindings, are, they fall off. Their bindings are burned up. Their hats aren't burned up. Their clothes aren't burned up. Nothing's burned up. And there's another guy in there with them. And they look up, and I believe this with all my heart. They see not just one who looks like the Son of God. They see the Savior. They see a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ standing there in the flames with them, conversing, talking with them, protecting them. Guys, it's, it's the same story. It's all the same story. You know, some of you, um, and maybe you're listening at home or you know people here, um, they've acknowledged God, but they've never really defined the relationship with God. They kind of meander around and they say spiritual things every once in a while and they, they tiptoe around this idea and there's times we look at them and we're like, yeah, got it. There's times we look at Nebuchadnezzar and we're like, yeah, you got it. 
but they've never actually defined the relationship. The great news of scripture is that God has already defined the relationship that he wants to have with you. And it's not a relationship of condemnation. It's not a relationship of of separation. You see, the God of heaven, from the moment that man sinned, said, I'm going to provide a solution. Someday, my seed will come and it will crush the head of the serpent. See, our God is on a mission of salvation from day one. Our God is all about salvation. Salvation is not a New Testament concept. It is all throughout the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is the same God as the God of the New Testament. Salvation is available for those who believe and trust in the one true God. The good news for us is that we've seen most of the story here. We know that Jesus would come, that he would take the burden of sin, that God would would sacrifice his only begotten son for us, to save us, to rescue us. He makes a public, once for all declaration that we can be his forever if we believe if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. See, Jesus came to this earth and he didn't just come, he died for us. But sin and death couldn't hold him. He rose again because sin was not found in him. The only way for Jesus Christ to die was for him to take your sin and my sin upon himself and be the sacrifice that bulls and goats And animals could never, ever be. But here he is in the book of Daniel. Protecting the faithful ones. Protecting those who have said to the king, you're not in control. God is. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning furnace, he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. It's funny that after uh, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that they are servants of the Most High God, then they obey him. (laughs) Like, sure, we'll come out now. Now that you've got your priorities straight, O king, sure, we'll come out. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. (laughs) And no smell of fire was upon them. Had come upon them. It's a beautiful picture. The very guys that are accusing them, the very guys that have the setup, they have to then inspect God's work. And they can't find any evidence that they had ever even been in the fire. Because guess what, guys? They were in God's hand the whole time. There never was a danger of the fire 
as long as they were in God's hands. And that's exactly what they tell Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel to deliver his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command. The king was wrong. Somebody delivered him out of my hand, set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Again, this is at least the second time that we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar acknowledge God. But if we read the beginning of chapter 4, the middle of chapter 4, we realize that King Nebuchadnezzar still doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it yet. And here's evidence. Therefore, I make a decree. (laughs) This is not how God operates, guys. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there's no other God who can rescue in this way. Thank goodness that's not our message today, right? (laughs) Listen, believe in God. And if you say anything bad about him, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. Some of us are ready to do that, though, when that happens. We're ready to do it, right? Ready to get on Facebook. Ready to defend our God. Ready to hop on. Ready to yell at the top of our lungs. Like we said week one, ready to pull out our sword. Defend Jesus because he needs it. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. Listen, draw the circle, guys. Draw the circle around yourself. Choose not to defile yourself. When fear seeks to consume you, remain devoted to God. He's in control. We have the power to trust in the God of heaven because even the king, the most powerful king in the nation says that there's no other God who's able to rescue in this way. The king of kings that we serve is able not just to rescue you from the fires of this world, he's able to rescue you from the fires of the next world. That's our message as Christians. We are all on rescue missions We have been given orders, specific orders, to share this news with other people. Not to beat them over the head with it. Not to force them to convert by the sword or tearing them from limb to limb. But presenting the word faithfully. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they present the word faithfully. They say, we don't need to answer you because we know the word. We know what God has told us to do. And it's not this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Guys, I don't know the storms that you're facing here, but I'm going to ask you just flat out, what does your faith look like? Have you acknowledged God? You said, yeah, he's, he's a part of my life. He's, he's there. He does some pretty cool things every once in a while. He shows up when I, when I really need him to show up. Uh, worship team, you guys can, can come on up here. But he shows up when, when, I, when I really, really need him. He's done some amazing things over the years. Or have you defined the relationship as it's defined in Scripture for us? 
Is your faith and trust in the God who can deliver you out of any hand? How does that affect your life? Are you doing the stretching? Is your faith being tested? And when it is tested, are you able to flex? Are you able to rest in the fact that the God of heaven has chosen you, has protected you? Guys, if you choose to read through the book of Daniel, next week we're gonna, we're gonna transition into another book here, but you are going to see the same stories told over and over for the next few chapters, that God is in control. We need to not fear man, we need to fear God. All of these themes are in there as you continue here, but I hope if you choose to continue reading through the book of Daniel here, you focus on the fact that God is the one who's in control. It's not the human authorities of this world. They can only go so far. It's not even you yourself and your own will. You need to put your faith in the God of heaven because he is in control. When we stand before the kings of this world, will it result someday in us standing before the king of kings and Jesus Christ? And if it costs us that, Are we willing to pay the price? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just thank you for your word. God, I thank you for how perfect your word is. Lord, how complete it is. Lord, how it it doesn't leave any room for question, God, as far as what our responsibilities here are on this earth. God, that you have given us instruction. Lord, you have told us that you are faithful. God, that you deserve all glory and honor. God, that we need to walk in faith, that our faith needs to be stretched, it needs to be tested, and it needs to be used, God. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this faith. Lord, that we can't even take credit for it ourselves. God, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name.